Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and you tune in today because you're sick of trying every fad diet under the sun and training yourself into the ground without seeing any results. That's why I'm here to share the most effective ways to eat and train for sustainable and real results. What's up, guys? Welcome back to this week's episode of the show. I'm here in LA and I've just finished up recording an episode for you guys with a former guest of the podcast, Jacob Skepis. Now, Jacob is an extremely intelligent guy when it comes to training and nutrition. And every time we speak, I always take some value from our conversations. And I know you guys will as well. And I hope you did from the previous episode. But today, what we speak about is adherence to a fat loss diet and why so many people struggle with sticking to their nutrition plan or sticking to whatever their approach is to nutrition when it comes to fat loss. Jacob then goes into strategies and ways that we can implement different approaches to our nutrition in the long term to make sure that fat loss is more achievable, more sustainable, and more effective. And I know you're going to take a lot of value from the episode today. So if you do, please do take a screenshot of the episode and post it to your Instagram story. Tag myself, tag Jacob. We'd love to see who's listening to the show, any feedback you have or any questions you have for myself or Jacob. And as always, I really do appreciate you tuning in today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. I'm still here. Lastly, guys, I'm sorry to keep you hanging, but the audio on today's episode does cut in and out at some stages as I'm in LA, Jacob's in Melbourne, and our Zoom call did lag a little bit, but I've done my best to edit all of that out so you guys can enjoy the content because it is simply amazing. Now, I promise this is really it. Let's get stuck into the interview. Jacob, my man, thanks so much for joining us today on the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Um, as always, it's a pleasure to have a chat to you regardless of whether it's on the podcast or not. I mentioned in the, the intro that um, you're full of valuable information and, and very intelligent person. So I think today everyone listening is going to gain a lot of uh, knowledge and value from the show. Thank you, man. I appreciate the kind words. Uh, it's not too often that I have people call me intelligent, a lot of other things, but I'll take it. Lap it up, mate. Enjoy it. <laughs> right, guys. So as I mentioned, we're going to discuss um, a bit around diet adherence and I guess why it's why people struggle to stick to their fat loss diet and ways that we can implement strategies to, to make it a little more effective and sustainable. So, Jacob, to give those in, that are listening an idea of your kind of experience, roughly how many times do you reckon you've gone through a fat loss phase um, with your nutrition? Well, considering... Uh I was permanently cutting from the age of 15 till about 21 uh, without a deliberate gaining phase or anything (laughs) like that. Um, I'm going to say nearly a fifth of my entire life, uh, which is quite a lot. So I have a fair bit of experience when it comes to diet. I know uh, what it feels like to be on very low calories, to do clean eating, flexible dieting, um, you name it. I've probably done it. Um, and I also know the struggles and the very real side effects of uh, losing body fat and being at a you know in hypercaloric condition, so at an energy deficit over extended periods. So, yeah, I've been dieting a lot. I have a lot of personal experience uh, in you know being on very minimal food, and obviously I coach uh, a lot of clients uh, in person and online. Uh, to help them achieve their fat loss goals, which means uh, you know there's there's more lessons to be learned there. Exactly, and I was just about to touch on that. So, firstly, I think you're definitely qualified to chat about fat loss if uh, a fifth of your life has been dieting. Um, and I'm assuming those early days you were probably expecting to gain muscle at the same time, yeah, because I know I was. <laughs> 
Most definitely. I was wondering why I was always looking the same and I'd just keep <laughs> training harder. The old drop set, superset. More reps, bro. 20 different exercises in single session. Yeah, did it all. Uh, tried to get bigger and lose fat simultaneously. Probably happened for a little bit uh, yeah. early on. But after that, uh, the results really started to shift towards the uh, fat loss side of things. And you know, mm. I dare say I was retaining a bit of muscle, but I was quite fatigued. Uh, in general and burnt out by the end of it, which is, you know, when yo-yo dieting started to really present itself, uh, regular binge eating uh, was a common occurrence, uh, you know, and before I knew it, you know, my weight and fat loss efforts were a, a downright mess. Things were getting really, really difficult, uh, you know, towards the latter phases of that, you know, really long dieting phase over that five-year mm -hmm. period. Um, you know, before I started regaining weight and, you know, I felt helpless in, uh, my attempts to manage my body composition because I only viewed nutrition in a very short, uh, timescale, which is what we're going to talk about today, I guess. Yeah. And I didn't understand, uh, you know, how to phase out of a, a cut or to, you know, how to deliberately bulk without getting stupidly fat. It was an on or off switch. Yeah. Uh, which I think we've spoken about before. And yeah, if I wasn't on plan and I wasn't cutting, then, you know, I was just gaining a stupid amount of weight. And there were times where I even got up to like 95 kilos, um, you know, and just for a bit of reference, uh, you know, the lowest I got to was, you know, the mid sixties. Uh, so a 30 kilo uh, weight gain, um, you know, after a contest prep diet. And then, you know, after that, I really struggled for, for many years with, you know, knowing how to have some structure around my diet so I could adhere to the fat loss phases, but then also maintain, you know, my fat loss efforts uh, within a certain range. So not, uh, you know, to say that we have to stay at the same body fat percentage all the time, but yeah. there was definitely uh, a lack of understanding on my behalf uh, when it came to, you know, incorporating different goals such as maintaining weight and also gaining weight at an appropriate rate. So, yeah. Awesome. And, and I just want to say as well, guys, that, um, you obviously heard Jacob say as well that it's not just himself that he's worked with. He's worked with, you know, tons of clients as well, which is extremely important because as we know, there's always a lot of, um, correlation versus causation. It's easy to look at someone and say that they did it this way. So that's going to work for me. But when you're working with numerous amounts of people, you need to have a lot of tools in your toolbox to be able to, um, to help other people that are in different situations. So, the first kind of main question I want to get into, Jacob, is why do you think adherence is the killer of most fat loss diets? Yeah, so I think adherence, uh, you know, there's many ways that you can come at this, but most importantly, that's related to what we're going to be talking about today in terms of you know bigger picture stuff is people view nutrition on very short timescales. As I mentioned, they don't think too far ahead. And what this means is they just diet, they set up their plan, they, you know, are cutting, for example, and they don't put an end date on it, or they don't have any strategies long term. I think this really kills people's adherence, because they don't know when it's going to end. Mm. And you know, that can be very, very demotivating. And, you know, altering somebody's perception to understand that cutting is a very short term uh, phase can bolster motivation and therefore adherence because they know, cool, I only have to do this for eight to 10 weeks and then it's done. Um, as opposed to, holy shit, I've got to, you know, diet, I, you know, I might have to do this for years and, you know, what am I going to do, you know, yeah. when I have these social events on or when I go on holidays, when it comes into, you know, summer, winter and life changes. And this is where we just see that perpetual yo-yo dieter who's just constantly yeah. a hamster on the wheel. 
you know, running, running and running and running, but not actually getting where. So I think perception um, of, you know, the very uh, infinite role that nutrition plays within uh, our lives is super important to adherence uh, because then we can start to reverse engineer from there and plan out our diets accordingly. Now, Second to that is, you know, because people see uh, nutrition as this, you know, quick fix, it's something that's, you know, got to produce rapid results really, really fast. Uh, they adopt a very rigid and restrictive approach. Mm. Now, we've seen in the literature that a flexible diet uh, is far superior than a very rigid approach. And when we talk about, you know, the different uh, types of uh, dietary restraint, uh, either flexible or rigid, we're looking more so at the perception and the mentality adopted towards that nutrition approach as opposed to the actual diet itself. So you could have a flexible diet where you eat a variety of foods, but have a very rigid mentality because you freak the hell out if you go over your macros. Mm. Uh, Similarly, you could eat very bland bland food, uh, you know, quote unquote, clean foods, um, but be quite flexible and not have a very restrictive uh, mindset. So it's more the perception that we adopt. And I think uh, the problem with uh, most people is, they're very rigid. They think in black and white terms. Uh, they're dichotomous uh, in terms of how they perceive food. So they look at food as good, bad, uh, healthy, and unhealthy, and so forth. And this restriction uh, exacerbates cravings, especially when you know we're eating less food than we want, and you know hunger starts to rise. So, and this is uh, you know a very common occurrence with not only my own diet but clients as well. As we diet, you know we crave more and more foods, and if we're very rigid with our approach. Uh, we're eventually going to slip up, overeat, or eat something that's quote unquote bad, and that you know exacerbates the you know restriction cycle. So you know we feel guilt. We try to get back onto the horse, uh, keep mm. dieting, restricting food, cravings increase. You know we give in, uh, and so on and so forth. I think the second uh, component of you know why people don't adhere to their diets is that they don't get rapid results early and that can be really demotivating. So there's some pretty interesting literature that's been coming out um, highlighting how, you know, in obese and overweight individuals, uh, rapid weight loss can really improve motivation to adhere to a diet. So I think people trial these diets, but they don't actually commit to them uh, more so because they're super, super rigid, uh, mm. meaning that they don't get results that they want. Now, again, this can make, sticking to the diet even harder because it doesn't feel like it's working and it's not producing the desired result. Now to caveat that in healthy and lean individuals, they're not going to see as quick a result on the scale as somebody who has uh, you know, a greater body fat percentage uh, and is holding, you know, quite a significant amount of body weight. So uh, in lean and healthy individuals, uh, we can still get rapid results. It's just not as quick as you would see when someone is at a higher body fat percentage, but nonetheless, uh, results early is really, really important for adherence. And to couple that, I think most of the approaches that are taken with nutrition are not individualized enough. And again, there's a lot of research uh, supporting uh, the efficacy of dietary interventions where there's preference given to the individual. Now, again, we need to caveat that because we all like chocolate and ice cream and, you know, eating a diet that consists solely of junk food or even foods that are, you know, have a healthy macronutrient, a micronutrient profile uh, isn't going to work if we don't like them. So, you know, we need to make sure that we're number one, meeting our calorie and macronutrient intake, but then selecting foods that we enjoy, that we have available to us 
uh, that are easily accessible and make the dieting process easier, but also not uh, making them so enjoyable that they heighten you know, our sense as sensitivity uh, to the palatability of food, uh, which can increase cravings, which we know is a bad thing when we're dieting. So I think a lot of uh, these diets that people follow, whether they're written by a personal trainer, you know, they've found them online, they've downloaded, uh, you know, diets, uh, template, whatever it may be, uh, typically written by somebody who has their own preferences. For example, you know, I have berries, oats, cereal, protein and almond milk for breakfast every day. And if I was to give somebody advice as to what to eat for breakfast, that's what comes to mind because that's what I eat. However, some people might hate blueberries. They might not really like the shitty taste of, you know, water that, you know, consists of almond milk and they might not sit or digest uh, protein really well at all, uh, which could be a problem if they've got some sensitivity to, you know, the preservatives and, the artificial sweeteners in protein powders. So again, me giving somebody advice. Quick, sorry, I'll just interrupt you there quickly. Um, I was going to mention this before is uh, for you guys that are listening, it's important to understand. And I know a lot of you already would, but for those that may not be kind of following along, like with flexible dieting, the thing is, uh, as Jacob's saying, like flexible, every, like so many different approaches to nutrition fall under flexible dieting. So if you're someone that eats, uh, that's a vegan, that's vegetarian, that likes to eat paleo, that likes to eat low carb, high fat or the, or vice versa, then that's fine. I think that's the beauty of flexible dieting and, and following that macronutrient calorie uh, target approach is that if you're working with a coach that knows what they're doing and they're allowing you that flexibility, then there's not going to be that uh, restricted food selection. And we don't just mean uh, when we talk about food selection, um, the fact that you can fit ice cream and chocolate and everything in. It may just be that you can rotate your, pr- your protein sources. It may be you can um, edge towards a vegetarian or vegan diet without um, quote-unquote being too restricted with the way you're approaching the amount of calories you're actually eating and how many meals you need to eat per day and and whatnot yeah spot on i think that you know hit the nail on the head the diet that we choose should be highly uh dependent and the food choices that we eat on a regular basis uh should be influenced by many factors you know socio-cultural uh influences you know our religious beliefs uh you know everything that makes up who we are is going to play a large role in what we choose to eat day to day. And it can't be ignored. So I think the biggest mistake people make is that they let outside factors such as their role models in the fitness industry or, you know, who they're listening to in terms of nutrition advice influence what they eat instead of actually paying attention to what's going to work best for them. Yeah. Great. Now we've just mentioned, or you've just mentioned some of those things that people, the reasons why people struggle to adhere to their, their fat loss diet. I want to go into now strategies and ways that people can look at things over a longer period of time and break it down, almost periodize their nutrition as they would with their training um, to make it a more successful and effective fat loss phase and give them a better understanding about how they can approach it in a way that's more sustainable just as we follow flexible dieting because it's more sustainable. Um, the whole approach to your actual calorie intake and the length of the deficit and whatnot needs to be taken into account as well. Yeah, for sure. So I think before we get straight into the nuts and bolts of diet periodization, uh, you know, we need to think what is strategic nutrition and we need to zoom out before we then start zooming in on the finer details. So understanding the big picture and how best to navigate towards your intended goal is super important. 
From there, you can start to periodize and plan phases of dieting on various timescales, both short, mid, and long-term. And within that, you can incorporate some strategies that are in alignment with the overarching goal of a specific phase, which, which I'll discuss. And from there, you know, you need to zoom in and start adjusting and adapting the approach uh, based on the feedback, the results you're getting, uh, your enjoyment of the diets, any timeframes you have, and other important factors. So to stem into diet periodization, uh, by definition, this is used to describe changes in nutritional t- intake in response to certain periods of training. Now, as it relates to most of the fitness industry, it's a rather novel concept and the way that people apply diet periodization now is rather one-dimensional. It's a cut and then it's a ball. They don't actually have a very systematic change the very how best to transition between those various phases. And diet periodization is super important because it does provide uh, a conceptual model for dieting and a framework for planning how we change our calorie macronutrient intake to optimize our physiology and minimize the uh, negative trade-offs that occur when we do diet. And it also allows us to adapt uh, the approach that we take with yourself or your clients on those different timescales, so short, intermediate, and longer term. So the timeframes that we're talking about here, you know, we, we have three tiers. So the overarching tier being the strategic. This is the macro cycle plan. It's the big picture and whole diet strategy. So obviously the goal here is, you know, achieve a certain weight or body coming in and going to those shorter timescales. And this is where we look to the mesocycle. So this could be midterm, one to three months. And this is the very tactical stuff uh, where, you know, the coach or you are planning out over those uh, midterm timescales uh, as to best determine how we're going to achieve sustainable progress whilst maintaining adherence. So this is determining your target rate of loss, any potential uh, events or social circumstances that are going to impact your ability to adhere to the diet. And then from there, we zoom right in on the microcycle stuff, uh, which is the short-term, the daily, weekly plan. So this is actionable by you or your client. Uh, it's super pragmatic and it needs to be individualized uh, based on what's going to work best for you. So the way that this works is first predicated on understanding basic physiology. So we can't hack the body. Fat loss is going to get harder as your body weight decreases and you lower your calories and muscle gain gets harder as body weight increases and your calorie intake increases. So there's only so much chopping of calories and ramping up cardio that you can do before the plan is compromised and your sustainability uh, will get lower. Now, there are a number of benefits to periodically including higher and lower calorie intakes within these uh, specific phases. So even if you have the goal of fat loss, you know, we need to undulate our intakes uh, within that and same goes for a massing phase to continually promote sustainability of the diet. So again, when fat loss is the goal, the macro plan is your goal weight and body fat percentage. Zooming in, meso plan, what's our target rate of loss? How are we going to get there? And then the micro plan is how we uphold the calorie deficit to meet that target rate of loss over the day and the week. So as I said, a basic understanding of physiology for fat loss uh, needs to occur if we're going to do this properly. And at the start of a diet, we have higher body fat percentages, which means our hunger is lower. We're fuller more often. Our motivation to diet is going to be really high. We have a better recovery capacity and our non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So our total daily energy expenditure will be higher. As we diet, we lose weight, lower calories. Our body fat starts to decline. Our hunger is increasing. 
our satiation's going to be very, very low and our motivation to keep dieting is going to be lower than ever. So the strategies that we need to employ must mitigate this. Yep. So some strategies on the microcycle level, so right in at the you know, day-to-day uh, operational stuff, uh, to number one, manipulate food pleasure and reward. So as we diet, we have to eat less food than what we want, which is problematic because when we eat less than we want, we want to eat more of it and we want to make sure that we're eating all the foods that are delicious and tasty. But the problem with this is we're going to only uh, enhance the hedonic power of food, making it all the more desirable, which is not a good thing when we're dieting. So some strategies within this are to lower the palatability of food. So potentially starting to opt for uh, less enjoyable foods that you know don't taste as nice uh, as the diet progresses uh, potentially increasing protein intake uh, because we know the proteins the most satiating macronutrient eating uh, only when hungry and ravenous as opposed to you know just having frequent meals during the day that could potentially uh, raise our appetite increasing the volume of our food and lowering the energy density so if you've been eating chicken thigh you might opt to chicken breast uh, increasing our fiber intake uh, to distend the gut because we know that this uh, regulates and signals to the brain uh, that we're full. And in the same vein uh, of water preload, so drinking a bucket load of water before a meal can have a similar effect. Also increasing caffeine intake because we know that uh, there's some appetite suppressing properties uh, with caffeine. And eating slowly and mindfully because this uh, gives us time and the body enough time to recognize that food is being consumed, which again signals uh, that we're you know eating and full. So these strategies are on the day-to-day level and zooming out slightly, we can look to how we then structure the day. So the daily distribution of calories is super important. So how we set up our calorie macronutrient intake, our feeding frequencies and uh, the number of uh, hours that we allow to eat. So our feeding window. So starting with the feeding window, more often than not, people start eating when they wake up and then finish when they go to bed. Hugely problematic when you're on low calories. Now, if we can reduce the feeding window, so potentially skipping breakfast, such as a modified fast, or even intermittent fasting, again, there's a lot of reasons that intermittent fasting works uh, for many people and why it's been so successful. Uh, This is a really useful strategy on that day-to-day level. Uh, And secondly is the meal frequencies that we have within uh, our eating window. So the number of meals that we eat should always be uh, within our lifestyle and schedule. However, more frequent feedings uh, will only increase food focus. Uh, And obviously, we don't want to go to extremes here and eat only one meal per day. But if you're eating six or more meals a day, as you begin to diet, you might need to transition to to five meals, then to four meals, uh, and so on and so forth. And I wouldn't go below three meals for those of you uh, who are going to try this strategy. Now, in terms of how we distribute the calories across the day, many people might have an even split of calories. For example, if they have 2,000 calories and four meals per day, they might have 500 calories at each meal. Now, this is not necessarily right or wrong, but in most cases, people are going to want to eat more food later in the day, uh, simply because Throughout the day, we make a lot of decisions, and by the time we get to the end of the day, we're very fatigued, and our ability to make good quality decisions is going to be limited, and we might potentially slip up if we're really, really hungry, and we don't have a lot of food calories remaining. 
So potentials towards the end of the day is another useful strategy. So having you know smaller meals uh, during the day uh, when you're busy and you're preoccupied and then having a larger allotment of calories uh, before you go to bed so that you can sit down with your family, your friends uh, and enjoy uh, some more food. Again, the microcycle strategies that we can employ. So zooming out a little further over a seven-day period uh, of non-linear dieting. So the distribution of weekly calories. So again, the goal here is to maximize adherence, enjoyment of the diet, as well as training performance. So if your goal is performance, you might want to include uh, carb cycling or roving high days, which just means that you can take high days uh, throughout the week uh, on the days that you train so that you have uh, sufficient energy and glycogen to maximize your performance. Because we do know that uh, glycogen plays a key role in high-intensity activity, especially for folks who are elevating mass in a perpendicular fashion. Now, another strategy uh, within the week that we can use uh, is to bolster adherence and sustainability. And for most people, this is going to mean refeeds. So if your lifestyle uh, is, is such that you have certain days of the week where you need to eat more food, you're going out socializing, or you're just not as busy and you want to have more food on those days, uh, you might want to have low days during the week and then some high days. So what I often do with my lifestyle clients is I will have weekend refeeds. So they'll have a five to do to two ratio of low to high days throughout the week. Now, the benefit of this is as you diet over the course of time and you start to lose body fat, you have less fat to liberate, meaning that you should start to slow down the rate of loss. Now, this will happen as a function of decreasing calorie intake uh, throughout the week, as well as losing body weight. But we can slow the rate of loss by changing the number of days that we have at maintenance. So what I do with my clients is I'll typically start them at a six to one uh, low to high day ratio. And then as they diet, we'll transition to a five to two. And then over the course of the diet, if it's a really long dieting phase, we might move to a four low day, three high day approach. Another strategy within this is to learn how to borrow calories. So when there's important social events uh, that are occurring, uh, you can take calories from one day, prospectively, of course, so not uh, re-borrowing what you don't have, uh, but planning ahead and taking some calories from, say, a Thursday and a Friday and then adding them onto the Saturday. So this is how we can manipulate our diet over the course of a seven-day period to make sure that we meet our weekly calorie and macronutrient intake. And again, this is... I always, uh, I always kind of... Uh assimilate this to like a financial budget like like you just said you might borrow some calories from something from one day but then the next mm-hmm. day you've got to realize that you've, you've taken them from a certain day so you need to make up for it and even with the the carbohydrate cycling or the calorie cycling where you're having high days and low days um you know we could spend a whole episode on this and i'm sure we probably will at some point in the future but um it is important to understand that we are still looking at a weekly average so for those that are listening it's not like we're just going all right, yeah, on Saturday and Sunday, you guys can just have a heap of carbs um, and then we'll just see what happens. It's, it, it still is a, a mathematical approach. We're still looking at a weekly average. We're just changing the way those calories are placed, as Jacob just said. So it is suited more towards your lifestyle, towards how you're recovering from training, your training performance, and ultimately um, to the, the, the main goal of that, of that fat loss that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, exactly. We still need to quantify um, our maintenance days and you know the, the increase in uh, calories is typically going to come from carbohydrates where we keep protein and carbs, uh, protein and fat rather, constant and we just simply uh, add calories to get towards our maintenance or our estimated maintenance and then we can make sure that the days where we're having lower calorie intakes, uh, we're at a calorie deficit so the weekly average will still be a deficit. So 
furthering that, they're the short-term microcycle strategies. Now zooming out further into the mesocycle, so the midterm over the course of you know one to three months, we need to think how can we bolster adherence and make sure uh, that we're minimizing those negative consequences uh, that I explained you know as a result of changes in physiology as we diet. So the first mesocycle strategy is a diet break, um, much like a refeed, but it's just a prolonged period of maintenance, so five to ten days typically. And the benefits of this are that the increase in calories to maintenance uh, has a huge impact on our adherence, most importantly, but also reduces diet fatigue, will improve our mood. Uh, you know, we see uh, temporal increases in energy expenditure as well as uh, temporal increases in leptin. So you get a reduction in appetite uh, when you do refeed. And this is scaled with duration, meaning that your appetite will uh, be lower and lower and lower the longer and longer you're at maintenance calories. So a 24-hour refeed is great. 48 hours is even better. 72 is fantastic. But then a full diet break can really start to you know, mitigate the hunger that comes on when we diet. And some huge benefits to diet breaks are that it's much like taking a pit stop round a racetrack. You know, there's only so long you can diet and go around that racetrack, you know, before you start, the tread on your tires starts to run thin, you run out of petrol, the engine overheats, and before you know it, you combust and you're on, on the side of the track, you're not racing and you're binging and feeling miserable. So not to mention the mental side of it as well, which I think I've found, especially myself, like physiologically, physiologically, obviously there are um, a significant amount of benefits to the diet break. Um, but mentally, uh, you know, any, I think any dieting or fat loss phase, regardless of what approach you take does take its toll on you eventually mentally. So I think that was probably one of the biggest things I found, even if I was feeling half decent physically, the mental side of things for me just really ramped it up. Um, the motivation again, the, um, the commitment, and then that um, obviously eventually um, turns into uh, increased or improved training performance as well, which, which I'm sure you'll kind of touch on. Yeah, so exactly. It just really recalibrates the system so that when you do get back on track, you're fresh, like you mentioned, the commitment to the diet is going to be there and you're going to get better results. So you're going to perform better, not just at the diet, but also in the gym, uh, which means you're likely going to retain more muscle, uh, which is hugely beneficial and it helps you look better. That's, that's the goal. Uh, at the end of, at the end of the day, we're trying to improve how we look when we could, uh, which means diet breaks really, really important in a sense. Um, you know, to, to extend from this conversation, we can have diet breaks either proactive, so we plan them ahead of time, uh, which is what I do with a lot of my clients. So if we set out to have a 16-week dieting phase, we might have a diet break at week five and then again at week 10 uh, until we get to you know the end of that 16 period and we can go into a maintenance phase. Um, or they could be reactive, which is unplanned. So there's many times where I've been coaching a client and as they've started to diet, we start to see the red flags of non-adherence. So hunger's really starting to increase. Uh, their stress is through the roof. They're really fatigued and lethargic. And it might be time to call a diet break. So monitoring your response to the diet is really important. And having a reactive diet break uh, is often a really good strategy as well. So furthering from that, the, the, set, the third story, uh, mesocycle strategy that we can employ is a maintenance phase. So much like a diet break, it's just a longer time at maintenance. And the objective with the maintenance phase is to hold your body weight 
within a certain range so that you can slowly bring down your body fat settling point. So the objective with this phase is to maximize your calorie intake at a given body weight range. So the longer you spend at a certain body weight, you want to be slowly increasing your calories through what's called a reverse diet or you know pushing your calories up to as high as you can to maintain within that range. So you can almost fully reverse the physiological and psychological adaptations that occur when we diet. So determining maintenance calories is really, really tough. Uh, it's a very dynamic finger, figure. It's going to change from day to day. For example, one day you might burn only 1,800 calories if you're sitting on the couch, you're not doing anything, and then the following day you go hiking, you train, you have a hit of tennis with your friends, you might burn in excess of 3,000 calories. So it's important to understand that your maintenance calories uh, cannot be quantified uh, to the T but we want to slowly build calories up during a maintenance phase so that when we resume dieting, we could potentially be on more calories than what we were when we finished the previous dieting phase uh, and still be at the same or very similar body fat percentage, um, which is hugely beneficial for that subsequent phase. So, yeah, that's, this is good stuff. And, and before you continue on and before we get on to the, the macro side of things, for those who are listening, I think something that I'm hoping by now you've, you've started to understand and take in from what Jacob's saying is that you need to give yourself time and you need to realize that this is a long-term thing. And when you look at a fat loss phase, especially if you know you need to be looking by a cert- looking a certain way by a certain date, the longer you give yourself, the better because there's, that gives you way more time and more chance to add in things like diet breaks or times at maintenance without the stress of not being ready uh, in time for the event or for the date that you're, you're trying to be ready for. Um, and that just makes it a lot less stressful uh, on you physically and mentally. Yeah, exactly, man. Time is really important. That's why you don't need to rush things unless you have, uh, you know, you have a photo shoot such as, you know, our man Danny here has, uh, you know, every single day of his life by the looks of things, or you have to get on show on, on stage for a show rather. You know, there's no need to rush. You know, you want to get there and make sure that you get there and can stay there as opposed to getting there for a day or maybe a week. And then before you know it, you look worse than what you did when you started. So a really, really useful strategy. Maybe getting there. Yeah, exactly right. And probably the most useful strategy, uh, which is the third strategy within our mesocycles for fat loss is, as I started to allude to, a reverse diet. So when we have a maintenance phase, we obviously bring our calories up to maintenance and then we start to add calories in. Uh, But the reverse diet occurs within uh, a fat loss diet. So we're not at calorie maintenance yet, but we're slowly reversing out of the deficit. Now, this is an approach that has typically been used uh, post-show for bodybuilders, but it's, it's poorly applied in this sense, in my opinion. And it's better used within the context of a fat loss phase before we get to maintenance or transition to a gaining phase. Now, the reason for this is, uh, much like we can manipulate the weekly distribution of calories to slow down the rate of loss, when we start to bring calories up slowly, we start to reduce the size of the energy deficit. And this has a number of benefits uh, because when we're dieting for fat loss, we're really motivated. We're going to stick to the plan, uh, but slowly bringing calories up can reduce hunger and fatigue. We start to see better improvements in the gym. Uh, We obviously start to enjoy our diet more because, hey, we're getting a bit of food every week. But most importantly, doing this can minimize the likelihood of post-diet rebound because by the time you finish the fat loss phase, your food is high, your hunger's lower, fatigue's lower, and you can make for a much smoother transition into maintenance. And this is what I do with a lot of my fat loss clients is we'll set up a really aggressive uh, five to eight week dieting phase. And then once they've 
lost a significant amount of weight uh, at the start, which is really important for motivation, as I mentioned. Then we start reversing calorie intake up to slow the rate of loss. And this is also uh, only successful once I've got some buy-in from that initial weight loss. And then by the time they finish their fat loss phase, they're eating almost the same amount of food as what they were when they started, potentially even more. But their body fat and body weight percent, uh, body weight continues to go down because they're still at a calorie deficit as we start raising food. They're just losing slower and slower. And we can even start to see in beginners some recomp occurring because they're they're very uh, adaptive at this stage of their training career. And by bringing their food up incrementally, uh, you know, we start to support uh, muscle growth uh, whilst being at a smaller and smaller deficit, which means we can see some huge improvements in their visuals. So that's how I apply a strategic approach to nutrition for fat loss. Um, you know, I know you wanted to get into the macro cycle stuff, but that's just how we piece together these different mesocycles and then how we then implement the different strategies within the micro cycle. I think that's great, man. And I reckon for those that are listening, that is um, one, I think it's plenty for them to take in. And two, I think that's all, that's almost like more than enough for them to kind of to understand how to, how to approach it and what they need to kind of think about and things to take into account because as you mentioned, it's not just people, it's, it's, we need to kind of tr- hopefully try and get people to understand that there's not just an on and off. It's not just a bulk or a cut. It's not just a calorie deficit or a calorie surplus. There's a number of different factors that come into play and that we need to mm-hmm. um, account for. And if you're giving yourself enough time, if you're coming up with a, a proper plan and you don't have that stress surrounding whether or not you're going to be ready on time, you can have a really successful fat loss phase and we ultimately want it to be it should be every single time that you want to lose fat it's not a matter of whether or not you're actually going to get lean enough it's a more a matter of when and um giving yourself that time then allows you to to figure that out so just just touching on what we've already spoke about today like what what are the main things that you want the listener to walk away with today because like i said we've gone over a lot um, but there's definitely a number of takeaways. So cutting it down is as much of a summary as possible. What do you want the listener to take away? Yeah, so we only started to scrape on some of the uh, information related to strategic nutrition, but hopefully that helps you guys see the big picture. So yeah, understanding that we need to zoom out, plan ahead and set our target body weight um, and not expect to get there you know, within a couple of weeks, but you know that we going to have to spend some time not just dieting for fat loss but also maintenance uh and then from there we can start to plan in those mesocycles so in a really practical sense get your calendar out plan out your target weight of loss what do i want to what do i want to weigh in you know 10 months time 12 months time then reverse engineer from there and set monthly goals of losing say two kilos three kilos uh, planning when you're going to have your maintenance phases every eight to 12 weeks potentially. And then from there breaks, uh, when you're going to have, you know, that five to 10 day period of maintenance calories, uh, every, you know, say four to eight weeks within that, um, depending on how many maintenance phases you have and how long they run for, uh, you'll need to scale that accordingly. And then within the micro cycle, thinking about how you're going to distribute your calories across the week, uh, to maximize your adherence uh, to the energy deficit and then thinking about, you know, how you're going to tailor your days uh, to make sure that you're eating enough food, uh, feeling full, enjoying your diet, but not enjoying it 
so much that you are constantly craving food and altering uh, the pleasure and reward associated with food as you diet. So I think that would be the practical takeaways. Uh, but again, remembering that nutrition is infinite. It lasts forever. And if we want to achieve you know, a lifestyle uh, within our fitness goals, you know, which is you know, coincidentally the name of the podcast, uh, that we need to think long-term as opposed to you know, being very restrictive uh, and short-term focused. Awesome. You're a legend, mate. And um, I appreciate you joining me again today. And I want to have a chat to you. We'll have a chat after this and we'll try and link up another time to, to continue on with this conversation. Because as you said, we kind of just touched the sides of, um, of what we could possibly talk about. But I think for today, there's plenty there for the listener to take away. Um, so again, thanks very much. Not a problem, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, mate. So guys, thanks so much for, for joining us today on the podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the episode and taken some value from it, please do share a uh, take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story, tag myself and Jacob so we can get your feedback and, and see who's listening. And if there's anything you'd like us to touch on in the future, um, it'll be a bit easier once I'm back in Melbourne, Jacob and I can catch up and, uh, and, and discuss and maybe record a few episodes in a row for you guys. Um, hope you're having a fantastic day. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already, and I'll chat to you in the next episode.